So this is not a yes or no question so much as a yes or a yes and question. Okay. Would FDR have a podcast if he were alive today? Absolutely. Fireside Chats. I think Fireside Chats is a great name. Like, what would he call it if that was already taken in the podcast directory? Do you think Roosevelt special? I like that. Or like, here's Eleanor. Here's the question. Is Eleanor on it or is it Frank and Fala? <laughs> I I fear that he would not. He would probably let her on for like the last two minutes. Like you can throw in two minutes at the end. And at that point, he's already out of the room. Like, I just feel like the mutual respect is not there. I feel like fear itself tops the charts for a few weeks and then makes everyone feel bad. <sighs> yeah, I love that. Would he be the Meghan Markle of his day? Welcome everyone to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary. I am still Allison. I am not on an FDR podcast, sadly. Not yet. I mean, I would love to be on an FDR podcast, like for real. Like I'm so down with FDR and Eleanor talk, but... I mean, and sorry to any Meghan Markle podcast stands. I don't want to wade into that debate. I just don't believe that that podcast is, I think there's a lot going on with that podcast and I'll just leave it there, but it's a lot. I think Eleanor would have the like great premise for a podcast, but I think she's so busy. I don't know that the execution would always be there or it would be too ambitious. Like she would want to do a daily podcast and they'd say, Eleanor, like there's actually something called the daily And it just would not be, like, good enough for her standards. I think that's real. I also think that she was coerced later in life into doing things like, like, what's that game show from the 50s where it's, like, the guests are, the judges are all blindfolded and they try to guess who it is? Oh, not to tell the truth. No. uh, I don't know if that's the title, but she was on it and it was so, like, kind of cringe, but also just surreal that it's, like, here's Eleanor Eleanor Roosevelt on a game show. Is our guest famous for traveling? Is our guest famous for traveling? Yes. Is she also a newspaper columnist? Yes. Uh, Did she ever occupy the White House? Yes. (laughs) Is it Mrs. Franklin Delano Roosevelt? Mrs. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Wow. I mean, it's like she was too plebeian in that sense. I just, if you're going to be that genteel, you have to maintain it your whole life. Like Jackie Kennedy never appeared on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, could FDR be on a podcast? Probably. Could Eleanor? I don't know. But she was on a game show so that one day Meghan Markle, who was also on a game show opening up briefcases, could then be part of a royal family. Like, I think those things are connected not tangentially, but directly. I think Eleanor would possibly be a listener of our podcast. Like, I think people wouldn't know about it, but I think it would be quietly in her rotation. (laughs) I think she would be scared of things like normal gossip. Like, I do think there are certain boundaries she would always keep up, and she would have a private playlist of dog podcasts. Like, there would be some other interests that nobody knew about. Here's the thing. When your life is abnormal gossip, then even normal gossip is probably titillating. I get I bet she was like in bed your headphones on listening to normal gossip would deny it if asked same with our show I think she would just be like 
oh my, like, no, like clutching <laughs> pearls, like the things they say about my friend Valerie Tripp, who I'm, I'm imagining that friendship into being. Very close, very close. Valerie Tripp has spent a lot of weekends at Val Kill. Obviously, it's named for her. Like, I yeah. think people might question the chronology we've just presented, but they won't don't. question the essential truth. We are talking about FDR, of course, because in the back of the fourth kit book, there is a direct reference to FDR's election, his fireside chats, Valerie Tripp, like, we know at this point you're a huge fan of FDR. Like, it comes through. We know that you've probably hung out at the FDR Memorial in D.C. You've looked at the little wheels hidden on the wheelchair, which looks just like a chair in the memorial. Like, you've you've been down. Like, you've been. She has to have been. I mean, everyone has spent time with the the sculpture of Fallow that's, like, bigger than my entire body. Almost. <laughs> it's as tall as me. I got to, like, go find that picture, but... When Kara, our friend, like brought me to, brought me there when we went to visit Anna's brother in D.C., I was like, I need time with Fala. This is like intense for me right now. It's a lot. The FDR Beautiful. memorial, I think, is incredibly moving, and I also kind of romanticize their era of speech writing. Like, I really like the particular way that some of their words are etched into the memorial. I think they did such a wonderful job with it. Like, that's a space for me to ugly cry. Other memorials don't <laughs> move me. Like, other memorials do move me, not in the same way. I like to imagine that Kit, as we've discussed, like goes a bunch of different directions in her adulthood. And I can imagine a world in which a highly radicalized Kit visits the FDR memorial with some great grandchildren. And she's like, he didn't do enough. I was just going to say, it wouldn't be like the sentimental scene at the end of League of Their Own where they're like, oh my God, we were part of something. She would be like, this guy didn't do enough. They didn't even want to put him in a wheelchair in his memorial at first. Like, they didn't want to do the disability visibility here. And, like, I led the charge to make that happen. Like, she would have been the person who was like, even this monument was wrong. Period. Over. I also like to think she would have been doing what somebody needed to do when I was there at the WW2 memorial down the street. People were doing, like, straight-up engagement photo shoots when I was there. And I was like, this is... I mean, I don't know if Tom Hanks, like almost died in World War II many times for this to be the end result. I think Franklin could get down with that because I think at some level he was all about like love and romance and cheating. And so any <laughs> kind Lucy. of any kind of romance that he sees put out there, he's all about. I was thinking a lot in reading Happy Birthday Kit about, you know, the way that radio culture is so baked into the Molly books approximately a decade later in the way that we're like really just starting to get into that world in Kit's, you know, kind of universe. Like we're not quite there yet, but how even in 10 years, the space between them, we go from like a radio show maybe being really special or the novelty of War of the Worlds to, you know, the fact that Molly gets a personalized radio message from her father. Spoiler, if you haven't read her Christmas story. Spoiler alert. Like thinking about those things and something I'm loving about the tightness of going from Rebecca to Kit and thinking back on Molly is how much changes in about 20 years, you know, 20 to 30 years, like one, you know, very tight kind of generation, how much we're seeing from Rebecca's tenement to Molly's experience with Kit kind of perfectly being that middle of the depression. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I also think there's a through line of like centralized communication or popular communication where in these books especially we have the radio 
and the newspaper and, you know, movies to some extent. But there's like these standards where people are getting shared information and there's fewer of them compared to now when it's like I just heard somebody talking about Taylor Swift's Midnights and basically saying, you know, radio plays and downloads are meaningless now because like TikTok is the equivalent of the radio. Like getting your songs like repeated on TikTok is a more meaningful way of communicating and it's like we have such decentralized communication that it's I think one of the hardest things for us to imagine ourselves back to is like a world in which everyone would be home listening to the fireside chats like that that would be within the wheelhouse of a family like everyone's listening to like the same one or two radio shows one of the things I find most interesting that comes out in the back of this book to that point is there are so many kind of subtopics that are woven through the kit books that we can talk about, such as, you know, there's mentioning of people being driven to really desperate states because of losing their jobs. There's the mm-hmm. element of desertion that happens with a father figure in the book. There's all these different elements, right? Like hunger, not having clothing, not having what you need, right? All of these sacrifices. And then one of the kind of, you know, summary points in the back of this book is like, but everyone was closer, right? And I think something that's significant is like, we don't conflate centralized communication or centralized information with everyone actually being on the same page, right? Like, we were all in the same storm with COVID, but we were not Mm. all in the same boat. And I think something that happens a little bit in some of the supplemental material like Kit's World or like there's all of this really critical, you know, hard information to process that's so beautifully done in this book. And then one of the final points that they land on in the peak into the past is, well, you know, by necessity, everyone was drawn closer. And it's like, I think if you look at the characters in this book, we see that that's not happening. People are actually further apart than they ever had been, either because people are leaving the family or there's resentments that are brewing. So I think that will be something interesting for us to talk about and track in kind of the second half of the books. Like we've hit the point where Kit's family has had to fully reckon with like they are not where they were a year ago. And now there's a sense of this isn't a two month, a six month thing. Like this is their life now. And and what's that going to look like? Yeah, for sure. I think that will be a really interesting uh, thing to track, especially with everything that's going on in our own communication world. Like, you know, the Twitter of it all, which you sort of alluded to off air. It's like, where are we at in this world right now? I don't think Kit goes to Mastodon. That's my opinion. (laughs) I don't think so either. I think she's one of the people who's like, I'm a journalist and we are the path to truth. So I have to make my stand in this like garbage fire that is Twitter under Elon Musk. Like Kit does not pay for the $8 blue check because Kit is actually open to parody accounts. I think in a real way, like consuming her own identity. I think Kit would actually embrace that and find it funny if she were around today. I think Felicity would immediately throw down her credit card and be like, it's blue check mark or nothing. And like <laughs> low key, like she knows Elon. I mean, it's the only stamp back. I guess she's not protesting, you're saying? Yeah, I think she's actually okay with it. I think she's sort of intrigued by it. I think Addie left Twitter years ago. Addie was never on Twitter. She was like, no, no thanks. Self-care, not doing this. And that was wise, honestly. Molly, terrified to ask. Molly's still on Twitter. You know, I think like 
I think a lot of people are probably going to stay and kind of wait and see what happens. You know, Elon Musk promised that like real, in air quotes, humor would be back. I'm waiting to see how he's going to lead that charge specifically. So that will be really interesting. So far, it seems like parodies, not acceptable. Um, Weird Al in his Roku produced movie has done more for the parody this year and in the past few decades than I suspect certain like mining heirs ever will. But I've been wrong before. So have you? Did you watch that? Did you watch the Weird Al? Movie? I did. It's very funny. It's is it very good? Funny. Okay. It is, and it is a very self-aware parody of what a biopic of him might have been, and I think that's what makes it land and be really funny. And Rachel Evan Wood stars as Madonna in a very hilarious and, like, nefarious turn. And I appreciate that, like, there are clearly gems of truth about his life that are coming through. But it's it's overall very funny, very satirical. Um, Thought it was great. Like, 10 out of 10. I will definitely watch that. I just watched last night um, Enola Holmes 2, which is on Netflix. And I actually thought it was very fun with... um, Stranger Things person, Millie Bobby Brown. Yes. And who I forgot it was her when I was watching it. And it was very good. I was very entertained by it. I also watched that other mystery with Cersei Ronan about Agatha Christie's, it's set around a production of Agatha Christie's Mousetrap, which oh, is... Cool. Um, it was like not the best mystery I've ever seen, but I love mystery so much that I was like, this is great. And I love her. I'll see her in anything she's doing. I have to stand. So that was more of the highbrow. I wouldn't even want to call that highbrow stuff that I've <laughs> taken in. But have you seen anything else worth reporting on? You know, it's hard to beat the Weird Al biopic. I mean, I'm, yeah. You know, I'm exploring like the greatest mystery of all, which is, you know, like reality TV arranged marriage through Married at First Sight, through Love is Blind. Um, Netflix is really like keeping me in heavy suspense by not just releasing all of Love is Blind at once. I'm loving it. There are heroes on TikTok who pulled the marriage licenses to see who actually got married. So I know the outcomes. You know, like that's the kind of world like we're recording on Notary Day, which I think is notable if i may wow and you know i'm proud of these people like i'm happy that people are doing the work i think like that probably seems like a bridge away from kit kittredge i am loving these books because she makes me feel empowered to like report on things no one has asked about make almanacs that no one has asked for i'm not making seed sack clothes but maybe i will after finish these these books That's entirely fair. Now that I've looked up some other examples of it, which I'm sure we'll get into, I'm intrigued by it. I don't know if the dress is my desired form, but, you know, I I love the thriftiness of it. It's sort of like the sustainability movement, like originators. And yeah, I'm just, I'm loving these books. I really loved this book. And I'll just say something I just finished reading that I highly recommend is Kate Beaton's new book, Ducks. I want to get the title correct. It's called Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands. So it's a graphic memoir. If anyone read Hark, A Vagrant, her website, which she had for years and years, which I really loved, this is about the two years she spent after college working in the oil sands in Alberta to repay her student loans. So it's like bleak premise. But it's she has such empathy for everyone in the book, like even people who treat her badly. And I just like it's just it's a really good exploration of like 
how people get caught up in systems and all this kinds of stuff. In a way, I think it's like Kit's book where it's like, how do you tell a story about a person during a really difficult time and still have like moments of joy and empathy? And I just, I don't know, I, I think it's really good. So if you like that kind of thing, I really, I just finished it and I really, really loved it. Very cool. Very cool. Should we talk about Happy Birthday Kit? Is it time? Yes, let's do it. Let's get into it. Okay, folks, it's a truth universally acknowledged that we all want to be good gift givers. And that is where Uncommon Goods is coming in to help you with your holiday shopping or any other kind of shopping you need to do for people that you really care about. When you shop with Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. They make fine products that are in small batches, and so you want to shop early and often. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, handmade, or made in the United States as much as possible. From art to jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. I'll tell you what, I have bought myself lots of earrings over the years from Uncommon Goods. I've also used it for those hard-to-buy-for people. People like my dad, where it seems like he already has everything. You go to a category, you get him something special for the grill, suddenly you are giving some of the best gifts for the holiday season. If you want to get 15% off of your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash American Girls Pod. That's uncommongoods.com slash American Girls Pod for 15% off. Do not miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. So we are finally on book four. We are on the happy birthday story for the wonderful Kit. And as one of our listeners, longtime listeners pointed out, we are almost coming to the end of our opportunities to talk about characters with six book arcs. That is almost over. So we don't have many more of these left. Um, So here is our publisher summary. Kit knows that with all the boarding house chores, there's no time to plan a party for her 10th birthday. Besides, there's no money either since dad still doesn't have a job. Kit knows that she shouldn't even be thinking about a party, but it's hard not to hope. Then Aunt Millie shows up unexpectedly at the Kittredge's front door. Kit finds a new reason to hope. Aunt Millie is full of good ideas and Kit loves having her there until one of Aunt Millie's ideas doesn't sound so good to Kit. Dun, dun, dun. I want to say two things off the dome. Let's hear it. Aunt Millie is actually Nellie living under an assumed identity. (laughs) And I know that because Nellie was involved in the early days of the creation of the FBI. Stuff went really bad and really weird with J. Edgar. She was out in the oil fields and she was part of stuff that she couldn't unsee, which is why Millie's backstory makes literally no sense. She's from Kentucky, but she knows the Kittredges. She's not actually anybody's aunt. She's countryfied, air quotes, that's the language they use, but seems to be the savviest of them all. That is what I think is, like, the truth of what is happening here, and I think that's why, like, Val is trying to show us in the clearest language that she can. Like, she didn't get to write all six of the Samantha books, which was maybe a mistake, and she's like, but I correct that now. Whew! Yeah, she's like, I'm entering the chat. Thank you. I'm gonna, she's doing a lot of work. I have to say, this is, I think, one of my favorite all-time American Girl books. I loved this book, even though... I thought John Green was to blame for the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but I have to say, I do think we can make a case that Val actually originated the Manic Pixie Dream Aunt trope, if we want to call it that, or like, is it Nellie? 
who knows who this person is. She can conceivably do everything. She has quirks. She uses, quote, Shakespeare in everyday conversation. She knows how to do seemingly everything. She has, like, MacGyver-like skills. I don't know where she came from. I don't know where she's going, but I'm glad that she's here. We learn in this book that, well, through other sources as well, that Kit Kittredge was born May 19th, 1923, And we learn that she's named after her mother and after this aunt. And so, like, that is where her two, like, actual proper first names come from. But she doesn't go by either of them. It's like, all signs are pointing to the various ways that everyone in this network is trying to hide who Aunt Millie really is. She says, I think, one of the funniest lines in the series so far, unintentionally. Aunt Millie, we learn, saves the family. The family is going to lose their house at Christmas and off screen doesn't happen um, directly in the plot of book three. Aunt Millie saves them by providing the money they need to pay their mortgage. And it's like, who is that girl? Well, cut to May of the following year, which I think we're supposed to believe for her 10th birthday would be May of 1933 or May of 1934. Aunt Millie shows up at the door and she says, I can park my bones anywhere. Damn. <laughs> she's she's not a drill, this lady. No. I just, I think it's a wild swing on Val's part, or in some ways it's evidence of the fact that the plot is really not the point of the series, that they just neatly resolve what was the major point of conflict in the last book, off screen, off page, before we even jump into book four. It's like, we thought we were going to be evicted out on the street. That's where we left off. And then it's like, oh, don't worry. Someone named Aunt Millie, you'll meet her, paid the check, paid the bill for now. But no one does an aunt like Valerie Tripp. I want to take you back through Tia Dolores. I want to take you to Aunt Cornelia. I now want to drop you in on Aunt Millie. Um, even the cool neighbor, right, in the Molly books, like we didn't get quite the same like adult sibling exposure. There is a passing reference in this book to the fact that she is not Kit's aunt, nor is she her father's aunt, but she is somehow the source of a namesake. (laughs) Who is she? We don't know. I was going to say, like, we never, we do go to the grocery store in this book. We don't get a milk carton on which we might find (laughs) a photo of Aunt Millie missing person, but... I think it's a it's an interesting choice to do like a chosen family move here where it's like, oh, of course, like she and her and Uncle Bart. Wait, what's that guy's name? Oh, Uncle Birch. He and Aunt Millie raised dad in where was he raised in Mountain Hollow, Kentucky, where apparently Aunt Millie is from. Okay, and, but uh, how like how do they know each other? One of the precipitating events that gets Aunt Millie to the front door of the Kittredges in Ohio is she has lost her job and she has lost her housing. And she's like, there's a gal who's been wanting me to move in, dot, dot, dot. Like, you fill in the rest. And she's like, I'm not quite there yet, so I'm visiting you all first. Wild backstory. Truly, (laughs) like, no one knows what this lady's all about. I mean, it's also weird because, like, she's from Kentucky, and I think, like, an interesting story, although it wouldn't serve this book, is that, like, she could have been one of those, like, mobile librarians in Kentucky, because that's, like, where a lot of teachers moved into when mine shut down and, you know, whatever, like, jobs were lost. Like, they were kind of sent in as relief workers. I could, that would have been a cool series, like, Aunt Millie, the horseback librarian, like, taking books hither and thither and, like, quoting Shakespeare when you wish she wouldn't. But instead, it's like, okay, there's this friend who wants you to move in with her. You're pumping the brakes on that. Instead, you'd move to Cincinnati, a town you said you would never visit. 
because I'm trying to find that quote. Too many people, not enough animals in Cincinnati. 100%. Like, what's happening here? Do I think she's on the run for some complications from a moonshine operation? Yes. Well, love um, that. Her comfort was stepping into the classroom to invite everyone to kids birthday party that is the event that is alluded to in the publisher's summary like things go really well with aunt millie until they don't like aunt millie is here she's teaching everyone her whole bag of tricks she is helping kit kind of like think through the birthday and then she does something that i do think is objectively humiliating she shows up to school and invites kit's entire class to their house in front of everyone yeah that was that was a truly heartbreaking scene and the illustrated we haven't talked about the illustrations in these books but i think it's the same person in this book as last yeah walter rain kudos to him because the illustration in that scene is so like it just communicates the emotion of that moment like the shame that she's feeling when aunt millie like to back up a bit the book opens with kit having found an advertisement for a celebrity's Um, child birthday party that's Robin Hood themed which is obviously a big interest of hers and it's like really done to the max and her birthday is coming up and she's really jealous because she wants that but she doesn't want to allow herself to hope for it because of the family situation towards the end of the book she's like willing to tell Aunt Millie because she's been willing to like make all these things come true like actually I had this dream for my birthday but obviously it's not going to happen and Aunt Millie shows up like unannounced at school which first of all a parent showing up at your class or like an adult already is like stressful and to me and she gets up and is like hey want to come to the penny pincher party and it's like whoa aunt millie i told you i wanted a robin hood party (laughs) and this is like a very it's a related theme as they really stretch to make it work but like it's different and then at one point she says to her i don't want my friends to know how poor we are i never want them to see it And I think that's, like, such a central, like, emotional note in this book is, like, the shame of being poor and how do you navigate that? There's And there's two things that are embarrassing to Kit, as you're saying. It's the fact that this person has shown up, she wasn't prepared for it, and it's the fact that, like, her circumstances have changed. I remember I was in sixth grade and my family showed up to like an award ceremony and surprised me in the back of the cafe gymatorium and I turned like purple. So I respect the fact that like it can be surprising and daunting to have people show up by surprise in any context, but you're absolutely right that like the particular thing about this that is really sending Kit is that you know, early pages, like pages four to five, she's talking about this birthday party. I shouldn't really want a party at all, but I can't help it. I do. And I think where we've seen some like beautiful growth with her and Sterling and Ruthie is she's so candid about what she wants and can't have. And between book three and book four, like Ruthie was trying to swoop in and she was like, well, I'll buy you popcorn. I'll buy your ballet. And now Ruthie is like, that is disappointing. You know, like that's kind yeah. of a cool, a cool change. There's been, yeah, that is a really good point because it is a nice, it is like, a, it does show some change over time or that Ruthie actually was waiting for a direction for someone to help her emotionally navigate this change. And, you know, she took the feedback she got and she's incorporated it. And the opening is really empathetic, like Sterling and Ruthie, when, when Kid is like showing this birthday party, 
um, advertisement or article, they're, they don't shut her down, but they're trying to like mitigate her feelings or kind of encourage her. Um, like there's a, I love the quote on page five. I think Sterling said slowly that it's okay to want something, even if it seems impossible. Isn't that the same as hoping? And, you know, basically like Kit's like, yeah, I'm not going to get my hopes up, dot, dot, dot. But it's nice that they sort of like both accept her where she's at and they don't push her towards optimism. But at the same time, we're kind of like, but hope is still maybe a healthy feeling to have even with your sadness and this other disappointment. Millie is also, I think, like one in a a row of adult role models that have been really great in the books where it's like she's bringing in a different life experience, which lets us learn something. You know, Millie has, in theory, this really stable job. She's a teacher, but she mentions pretty casually like the mine closed and so there was no money to pay the teachers. And so she is out of a job as well and she loses her housing. But we have a sense that even five to six months before at Christmas time, she could afford to help pay their mortgage. So we know that she is like, she's called a penny pincher. We know that she's very good with money. She's thrifty. She's smart in all of these kinds of ways. And I like that she is coming to the Kittredges and like clearly out of need, right? Like she needs people to be with. She's in a middle of a life change. But part of how she in her own mind compensates for that is like by never wasting anything. Like they say, like she won't even waste sunlight. And she gets the family set up with chickens, helps them take care of a dog and helps to do a garden. And I really felt for Kit's mom in this book because at some point Kit's mom is like, enough. Like, I liked my yard the way it was. And she's in a garden club. She's in groups of women who have gardens, but they're decorative. And she's like, I love my azaleas. Cut to Aunt Millie, who's got like a hoe ready. She is all in. She's like ripping up the backyard. There's so many moments where as an adult reader, you can understand that's both so helpful because they're going to have vegetables and things they didn't have before in a shaded spot and very annoying. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on with that where I think it kind of speaks to the themes of this book, which are kind of like, what does healthy communication look like? And how do you deal with a loss of control? And I think that actually that speaks to me in this moment because it feels like the world is insane right now. And I'm talking about 2022. So it's like, how do we react to moments where like macro, micro, you feel like you don't have control over your life. And in some sense, like Aunt Millie is one path. It's like someone who's trying to control something else so that she can have something to fixate on and potentially be able to tell herself, well, it's okay that I'm taking advantage of their space or kindness because I'm also teaching them or like giving them chickens and teaching them how to sell eggs door to door and all this other stuff. Dandelion salad that she teaches Kit to collect (laughs) and make, you know, like she teaches so much, like she brings so much, but I think what's missing in that moment is sort of communication. Like she offers all these things, but she never says to the mom or dad, would it be helpful if I (laughs) order chickens to be delivered to the house so that you can sell eggs? or dig up your backyard and make a vegetable garden because and I I think that's a really interesting scene because clearly in that moment Kit is noting her mom's lips are like or like taut and she's basically like oh my mom doesn't like this or she's uncomfortable and she's mm-hmm. reading her mother's shame and in some ways like allowing that to be her teacher and it sort of keeps building up the shame that she's feeling which then gets sort of like worked out over the course of the book. And she even says to Aunt Millie at one point, like, don't you feel 
sad like when they're in the grocery store and she buys like discounted or like day-old bread and all this stuff she's like everyone in this store must know my family's too poor to pay full price and aunt millie's like being poor is nothing to be ashamed of everything was so ever especially with so many folks in the same boat but that's not the point it's like even if everyone's poor that doesn't dissipate your own shame over your own situation mm. this show is supported by hello fresh america's number one meal kit the holidays are just around the corner and HelloFresh is something that can make a busy time of year easier than ever. You can save money on dinner with HelloFresh and keep that extra towards something that you really want. Maybe something that you've always wanted from a catalog from your childhood. When your calendar starts to get filled up this holiday season, you can rely on HelloFresh. They have over 35 weekly recipes and there is something to please everyone. And yes, that includes me. I am not a whiz in the kitchen at all. HelloFresh breaks everything down so easy and you can get ingredients that travel from a farm to your house in less than seven days. Kirsten Larson wishes. Whether you are hosting a holiday party or just stocking up on snacks, HelloFresh is really something you want to consider this season. So whatever you have in store for the next few months, do not just take my word for it. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls65. Use our code AmericanGirls65. That is going to give you 65% off plus free shipping. Again, HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls65. Use promo code AmericanGirls65. There are also moments where, you know, Millie is quirky, shall we say, and she's like, let's talk about underwear. Let's talk oh about God. seed sacks. The bloomers. Let's talk about bloomers. Um, we also learn Aunt Millie was a big fan of President Roosevelt and his wife Eleanor and had asked Dad to move Mother's sewing machine into the living room so that she could sew while she listened. Like, Millie basically says, like, you can put my bones anywhere. I'll sleep in a corner. But she's also like, but what if I gave you a whole new conceptual outlook for your home? I mean, she's sort of like, in some ways, the best house guest because she's helping them in so many different, like, she's not just giving them fish, she's teaching them to fish, so to speak. But yeah. she's also that person who comes in your house and is like, huh, but um, what if the radio went over here? What if I <laughs> rearrange your house? What if, you know, I may dig up half of your backyard? It's like, when are you going home? Like, I'm sorry, what? There's also classic optimist Ruthie who says, maybe you should show her, meaning Aunt Millie Mildred, a picture of the Robin Hood party. Maybe she could figure out a way to do that. And one of the lines that I really loved in this book is Kit saying like, but she doesn't have a magic wand. She just uses hard work, um, page 24. I love that line because I love the way that she is kind of like, people are seeing different things in her. Like to Ruthie, who is, you know, highly optimistic, loves the fantasy world, Millie is magic. To Kit, the fact that she is just like actually practical, probably an earth sign, she just loves like what she brings because she's solving all these problems. Um, Millie was brisk and precise, but patient. Millie also though, like is not a wallflower. No. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's hard is like, again, it goes back to communication. If she had just said to them, like, would you be cool if I did this or that? They would have said like, yes or no. But instead, she just boldly goes through stuff. Her scene with the butcher is iconic. Her scene with the butcher is great. I loved her experience with the rag man, with being in the grocery store. Part of what we're also getting out of this is like being thrifty is a lifestyle for Aunt Millie. It's not a recent thing. 
And I think it begs a lot of questions about the men in this book and kind of how dad actually grew up and if dad is choosing to forget certain things or... It's so striking to me, looking back on this book, the fact that women are solving all of the problems. And I'm not saying that to be funny, but, like, men come in and out of these stories as, like, not problem solvers. Like, the uncle does not help to solve any problems in an intentional way. Dad and Ruthie's dad are having conversations about money, but it's a not even wealthy female relative who bails them out. Like, all of these thrifty things that they are doing are domestic economy things. Dad seems kind of like an accessory in this family now. And by God, like, what is Charlie doing? Because no one is seeing that money. I mean, I was just going to say, Charlie is in the wind all the time. He pops up approximately once per book for a meaningless plot device. Like, basically, the men are plot devices. They move the plot forward. They're there to build a chicken coop. That's basically dad's work. Yeah. In this book, that's all he does. But it's an interesting kind of like, it's an interesting trope where it's like, what what is the cultural imagination of Valerie Tripp for men in American history? What is their role? And if they don't, honestly, it's like, if you don't have a job, if you're not like the classic like masculinity trope of like men are their providers, you're erased. Like, where is dad? When he doesn't have a job, he's not here. But dad is reactive, right? Like, the women are proactive. They are solving problems. They are figuring things out. Dad is reactive. Like, dad did not actually have much of a plan for the closure of the car dealership. Even go back to the father in the Felicity books, and you think about the fact Felicity is full-on getting involved in conspiracies against the Empire, and dad is like, I ordered the flower. Yeah, I mean, but that's what I mean, though. It's like it's almost like a masculinity crisis where he's been emasculated by losing his job. Therefore, like he can't have any ideas. He's kind of reacting to whatever the women in his life are asking him to do. And he always does it. But it's just sort of like, you know, I have no idea what the rest of this man's day looks like. Like Molly, no dad. Samantha, no father. Grandmother, no man involved. Felicity's dad is kind of like the one who encourages her to be like spunky and spirited. But like there are some giant question marks there. Like she's ahead of the revolution before he is, which is kind of interesting. But I think that there's like such a good reflection in this book of strong scholarship on how women you know, we've talked before, like, the conversations between the parents that seem to not be happening about money. The mom has always been way in advance of the rest of the family solving financial problems, and it does make me wonder what she said to Millie or what others said to Millie to get her up there. Like, why is the school closing in May? Does Millie actually, like, know more than she lets on, and she's Hmm. there for another set of reasons? Like, Millie bails them out, but was it mom who sends that letter? Because dad is acting like he's always been genteel with the car dealership. And I think we're getting a sense that based on what her life is like back home, that that probably isn't accurate. Definitely not accurate. And I also wonder if the moments where that we get to see the mom be kind of visibly upset by whatever Aunt Millie is doing, like as she takes more and more initiative in trying to like... um, come up with means for them to survive or 
make money that also come with a visual component where it will become more public, like the economic strait that they're in. She increasingly feels shame. But I also wonder if it's like she feels threatened because before Aunt Millie shows up, she is like the number one person of like coming up with all these different strategies for the family. And now she has this person who is like out strategizing her or, or like is able to think bigger because she's not limited by shame over her money. And, you know, like, what will that do to her own, like, sense of where she fits in the family? There's also something about Millie, like, she basically, like, flirts with the butcher, I think, and is like, oh, you know, like, I recognize your accent, and brokers a deal with him. Um, We read, Kit was impressed by Aunt Millie's money-saving cleverness. Like, she makes a special deal, and she's talking about the fact that they're going to go right before the grocery closes because it's a Saturday afternoon and people won't want to waste you can only play that so many times, right? Like mom is a member of this community. She's a member of the garden club and people are going to see her in a certain way. You get a sense that Millie's clothes are really worn and really kind of like dated and faded. And she's kind of like, you know, really good at reusing things. The butcher seems to be kind of willing to go along with that. People still perceive the Kittredges as having money. Yeah, I think so. Although I think kind of it seems like the bloom is coming off that rose. I mean, at least it's not when they the genuine shock I thought was interesting when Kit and Sterling take eggs door to door to start selling. And the first neighbor they go to on their street is like, wait, you're you have chickens like these are your eggs. And it's clearly like surprise in a negative way. Like, why are you like reduced to this? Yeah, Kit um, goes to the door and a lady, we just hear a lady answers, would you like to buy some eggs? How much? Why, aren't you the little Kittredge girl, Margaret Kittredge's daughter? What are you doing selling eggs? Wherever did you get them? And Kit is pretty much immediately humiliated. Your chickens, it's come to that, raising chickens in your yard. And I think there's so many things now that are not necessarily associated with poverty in the same way they would have been in the 1930s but you see that a lot of the like things out of aunt millie's playbook that kit is clocking those are like pretty basic things about rural life like you have your own chickens you raise them you have eggs you can sell them if you have extra like this is that is not rocket science right like that that's a pretty direct thing but it is seemingly out of place in this like once affluent cincinnati neighborhood yeah i think it's like you're saying there's as much about maybe a different relationships to like the politics of respectability around poverty or money between them but also like rural versus suburbs especially if she's never really spent much time there i mean have you ever sold eggs door to door i have not not had that exposure i did grow up with chickens we did not sell our eggs um but we did keep the eggs and we did eat them that's impressive (laughs) <laughs> I don't know that it is, but it was uh, sometimes my job to go out and get the eggs, which was unpleasant. Um, not as unpleasant as uh, Kit then finds a dog shortly after this like incident that she doesn't very feel sad. good about. A very sad dog who people are not able to feed anymore. And Kit kind of immediately has this like great empathy and she wants to take the dog home. Yeah, I mean, that scene where they're out selling eggs, it's raining on the eggs that are wrapped in newspaper. Like, it's just a really depressing scene, and and she's clearly feeling very shamed. Sterling's with her, and they come upon a dog who has a note 
attached to them saying can't feed her anymore and that just really was heartbreaking for me like such a tar- such a hard scene and they take the dog home and eventually she's named grace after she basically shuts down the garden party you know I, and like that wasn't on her that was not on her that was not on her and part of me is like I guess it's good to keep going with things that make you feel like yourself even in tough times so like keeping the garden party going is good but also I think there's no transparency she doesn't want to show mom doesn't want to show the other garden party ladies like what her real situation is so the dog running through like basically the dog comes home with them and Aunt Millie's like put the dog in the garage like we'll bathe it later and like we'll feed her now and before they can, the dog smells the chickens, and it's like that sets off like a lot of chaos, and it ruins the party. But it's also like, I don't know. I mean, is that a good coping mechanism if these ladies are just going to shame you? No, but I think it's like one of the few things that she has from her old life. Like, remember, we're still just coming on a year in the life of the Kittredges. And I think it's probably one of the only times where everyone else in the family has to leave her alone. Like, she doesn't have to do things for other people, so it's one of her few outlets. Like, that to me read almost like a book club where nobody reads the book. Like, it's not about the gardening anymore. And I do think it's a significant aspect of the book that a real-life Mildred would have come into contact with home demonstration agents, with agriculture agents, with like experts in domestic economy. That is not what the mom is doing. Like they are not canning food for the future. They are not thinking about how to like use their natural resources effectively. It's it's a different kind of situation. It's like very social. And I think that's why they point out the azaleas. Like the mom's goal was never to be like self-sufficient. She wanted a yard and a garden. And it's like, but that life is over. Yeah, it is kind of sad because it's like, yeah, she actually has a thriving garden, but it's not the one she wants, which is one that's dislocated from any like sustainability or survival. It's more just for literally just decoration. And she doesn't have that anymore. Like all of her time and her energy has to go and go to like literally keep helping the family survive. And it's sort of a visual marker of that, of how much things have changed. I think that's where the back of the book has, like, for me, what are interesting conclusions. Like, so the whole family now has to be kind of in on the chickens on some level. They all have to be in on this garden. They're all, like, darning socks and doing things they never did before. And the peek into the past kind of presents this conclusion that people would huddle around the radio, do crafts, do things like canning that they maybe wouldn't have done in the past. And this pulled people together. And my immediate reply was like, I think that's an assumption with not a ton of evidence. Like, I don't think that mom having to pull out new garden tools and like being with people in the garden necessarily feels good to her. Like, just because you're all crammed in together doesn't mean that you are happier or closer. And I think there's so much evidence about the depression that proves that's not true. That these communal activities didn't lead to more community bonding? I think there's probably some actual bonding that's healthy. I think there's probably some of what we would call trauma bonding today. Mm -hmm. I, I don't buy the conclusion that, like, these communal things were making people happier or closer right? Like, Mm -hmm. Kit is living with people she never would have lived with otherwise. 
it's notable to her that there are dinners with Aunt Millie where people are laughing and talking together, which means that generally that's actually not really happening very much. Like, just because you're around a table, the way I read it, doesn't mean you're closer. You're just living in a tighter space with more people. Yeah, I think that's true. I think something that's interesting about Aunt Millie's introduction, though, is that I think she demonstrates how to live among a community of people and like actually act like you're a part of a community and not just someone who's like suffering through living, sharing your house with a bunch of people. Like in one of her first, her first dinner there, they have a couple added now to the borders and she, um, they had some acting experience. And at one point she says, um, asking about that, um, please tell us about it. And, you know, so she makes a connection between one couple and another group of boarders who had shared some like common acting experience and says, please tell us about it. And so then they start to share their experience, which then creates a connection with someone else who remembers something. And I do think that is like actual meaningful community conversation there. So I don't think it's that, you know, I think for sure, I don't think anyone's loving having to cram into this house together. But I think what the book demonstrates is there is a path to moments where they do feel more like individuals sharing a space and people who actually care about each other's well-being. Like, I think the penny pincher party is another moment for that. And it's such a great conclusion to the book where everyone kind of offers what they can for these kids to make the party fun for Kit. Um, they're different skill sets. So I think it kind of goes both ways. Like, I don't, I think it's fair to assume that nobody loves this situation, but I think there are people who are more invested in making it feel like a community or like in, in kind of finding some joy in that part of it when you can. Yeah, Aunt Millie is determined to make this a fantastic birthday. Like, she steps right into the school, she's got her hat on. Um, and then poor Kit is sitting there and she's thinking, I wish she had never come. It was bad mm. enough to be embarrassed in front of strangers. This is much, much worse. Um, and the teacher, Mr. Fisher, is kind of all about it. Like, he's a comrade. He's a fellow teacher. Um, Aunt Millie recognizes that she is embarrassed by the fact that she's just invited everyone to this specific kind of party. I do love that Aunt Millie kind of says, like, okay, I've done something that this family perceives as wrong, I'm going to pack up, I'm going to leave, and that Kit has a chance to, like, rush to the train station with her parents to actually make it right. Um, Like, this book has so many elements of other birthday books. Like, she does get a new outfit. There is a present, in a way, in the form of the dog, and there is a party. But it's so, like, anti-consumer compared to every other American Girl birthday book. Um, which is really kind of fascinating. Like, I don't think we've had, like, something so distant from a birthday book since we read Kaya. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, this is all, like, DIY kind of elements throughout the book. So it's interesting also to think in a meta way about how American Girl was then selling accessories for a profit that are based on real things people did to be thrifty and save money. And I think that like the feedback dress is a great example of that, where it also makes me wonder how Kit had changed and how she navigated shame by the end of the book, because the scene, same scene where Aunt Millie shows up at school and embarrasses Kit and she tells her so, she's also like feeling the heat of her wool, like winter dress and clothing that is becoming tight on her because she's growing and her other spring clothes don't fit anymore. And she goes home and finds this beautiful like feed bag dress. 
And I wondered, it's not explored in the book, but I was went, I went and was looking at archives of different flower sack patterns because, of course, when the companies discovered people were making clothes from them, they came out with all these different patterns. And some of them are really beautiful, but they would be seemingly understood by people in her class as like, oh, that's a feedback pattern. Yeah. Like, how much would people know? Like, oh, your clothes are made from a feed. Like, that's a feedback pattern. And some bags, I guess, gave directions on how to remove the dye from the fabric so you could just have white fabric or dye it some other color but if she's wearing something that's a visible signifier of the fact that she has to do this which a lot of people did you know it doesn't seem like that that has not occurred to her she's only feeling the joy of like what a beautiful dress that fits me so well well and i think like i don't know where the next two books take us but it's also like the gig is up right like she tried to hide this from ruthie ruthie knows and she probably doesn't have an awareness of this, but you'd only know it was a feed bag if you knew what a feed bag turned into a dress looked like. So if you recognize it, right. it's like, uh, Luann Jones has written like some of the most like definitive work on this. Um, and it's called Mama Learned Us to Work. In her study, uh, she looks mostly at the South and it's interesting that it takes a transplant coming up into the family from another part of the country to kind of like fully embrace some of the thriftiness. The birthday party is really beautiful because like Kit really does get like the true meaning of the theme of the thing that she loved without having like a celebrity level birthday party of like ponies and things. This prompted me to look up today, like, what is an American Girl birthday kit like if you were to go and buy one? And there is one that retails for over $700. And then what? I, took, I took screenshots of another one, which was $92. But you can get an American Girl Take the Cake birthday cart for $80. You can get goodie bag sets for $45. Um, and they offer a collection that starts at 92. That is insane, but that's wild. I don't think if I had kids, I would be going down that path um, per se, but that's like, who is that for? I mean, it's just, it's weird because I think these books are some of the best books on class in the whole series. And yet, like, the brand keeps leaning into capitalism, and it's sort of like, did that create uncomfortable moments in advertising kit stuff at any time? I think it's something that fans have pointed out all along the way, and I think, like, to their credit, and I could be misreading it, I think they were smart enough not to be, like, hobo chic and, like, romanticizing what happens well, in, yeah. in book five. I think that was, like, you know, a good play. What's interesting, though, is, like, I've looked up other books for children about the Depression to kind of see, like, they're very similar to what American Girl did. And I think what has been interesting is, like, there's such an intense fandom around Kit, and yet you don't see the same kind of capitalizing on the merch. Like, you could see Kit as a historical character having a stony clover line, but they never did it. So I'm not quite sure where that discrepancy comes in. I don't think it's because she's a character of the Depression. Something that I really noticed in this book is like, you know, Molly's family is scrimping and saving in a whole bunch of ways, but it's sort of incidental. Whereas like that change is essential to how we understand Kit and it's such a completely different story. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder, too, I mean, it seems like for grown-up kids out there, there's also, like, all of these different products you can engage 
that similarly like make depression chic era clothes now or like that fashion line bowed I don't know if I'm saying that right but I mean she her whole thing is like preserving different fabric traditional fabric approaches like flower sack dresses per se I mean she does a lot of quilting stuff but you can go on Etsy and search like flower bag clothes and there's like quite a few like real fat flower sack clothes and fabricated and patterns sold for like quite a lot of money so it's interesting to see like one people are still keeping that tradition going but also that it's been it's like at such a profit at this point for some people well and I think the series like particularly in the peak into the past segments I think there's a big investment in like history as it's told in the American girl world into making this depression exceptional, right? Like people had to do extraordinary things because it was this depression or people had to eat turnips and have certain kinds of gardens because there was a war. And the truth is like the Kittredges living this way is still not close to the abject poverty that other people were experiencing in and around this time. They do still have an electric bill that they can pay. They do still have Mm -hmm. a house and they have means of getting revenue and supporting themselves. Their daughter still has kind of enough time and freedom to play with a typewriter, right? And to do all of these things. So I think part of it, though, is there's a sense like, especially in the Kit's world book of like, this was a time like no other when elements of that time absolutely transcend the Great Depression. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. And if you go look at the, I was thinking about that, looking at the Smithsonian, I think, has digitized some photos taken by federal agencies during the Depression, and some of them are in Cincinnati and in Black neighborhoods. And that's like yet another through line or like element to this is that we never see characters of color and like white-centered stories in these eras. But I mean, looking at their homes and imagining what Kit's home is like, despite whatever economic situation they're in, it's like there's huge differences in access to utilities, indoor bathrooms, like all like what areas of the city the city is keeping up and what areas they're not like all of these different questions of like the politics of urban development, everything else like that obviously is not on Val's mind, I guess. But it's worth kind of noting that it's more complicated than they're making it sound and peek into the past. This is sort of trivial compared to what we were just talking about, but speaking of differences between reality and fact, like, I thought it was interesting that there's a real difference between, like, the celebrity child birthday party and, like, what an average person, air quotes, could have. And I think, like, I was looking around the newspapers because I wanted to see, like, some celebrity child birthday coverage, and mainly what I focused on that was interesting was Shirley Temple's birthday. And what's interesting is like Shirley Temple's birthday actually becomes like a relief event. So they had parties across the country where kids could go and get a goodie bag and candy and celebrate Shirley Temple's birthday in her absence. And they would say like, we're going to send a telegram to Shirley Temple like at the party. But there's also accounts of Shirley Temple's actual birthday where she was receiving thousands of gifts. This was when she was making $5,000 a week. And she, it was like very impersonal birthday celebration. So it's like all these differences between like, you know, Shirley Temple becomes like a relief kind of event. Her own birthday is like a publicity stunt. 
And but at the same time, the newspaper is a place where everyone comes together because there are so many episodes in newspapers where like average kids parties get written up in the paper. So like in the same page where one year Shirley Temple's birthday gets written up, another boy's, this was in Waterbury, Connecticut, his first birthday party gets covered and they list everyone who attended the party. And it's like, it is kind of adorable that that was happening. Yeah. And I think Kit's family is part of a higher level of society or was used to being that. And so instead of expecting a cake or something from her parents or to just be with her family, she has that expectation from somewhere. Yes. Yes, she does. I mean, I just think it's like kind of poetic in the sense of like, is communication a democratizing medium? Like Elon Musk would say yes. I would say no at this stage. But the fact that they could all be in the same newspaper, I think is interesting. Like, obviously, like some kids must have had some kind of stature for someone to submit their party to the newspaper. But like, it's nice that even in the middle of the Depression, like, there's still, like, an attention to, I guess, local news. I guess, I guess I'm rom- romanticizing that in a world where local news is under, like, on its way out or, like, heavily not funded. I think Kit's gonna have a career, right? Like, so Kit through the 40s and 50s could very reasonably, in her 20s, 30s, like, Kit could have had, like, a 40-plus year career in yeah. media, um, which I think is not something that kids reading this in the early 2000s could have imagined. Well, I mean, I she I could see her as someone who mentors Nora Ephron. So it's like, actually, Nora Ephron didn't invent everything is copy. That's, like, Kit's motto from her <laughs> own childhood, literally writing up everything that happens in her house. I just, I love the fact that she says, like, I'm a writer. She's like, writers have to notice things. And you do wonder if there's a little bit of, like, you know, by this point, like, Valerie Tripp was, like, the most, you know, exposed American girl writer of them all. And there might be some element of, like, getting to use Kit to kind of put that out there, right? Like, how special it can be to be a writer, to, like, tell people stories. You know, that's kind of an interesting thing. I'm looking forward to where this series goes next. I don't know how long Grace, the dog, will be with us because in American Girl World, like, pets come. No, I don't know. Like, pets come and pets go. Like, the chickens don't have names. The dog has a name, Grace, which is kind of like a joke on the dog's (laughs) life. Um, But hopefully she's around. Like, hopefully we don't have a Bennett situation where she's gone within a book or two. I mean, or like Charlie, where it's like, maybe he's around, maybe he's not. Hard to say. Honestly, it's like, you know, Josefina had Sombrita. You know, we had that lamb, weirdly, for Felicity. Someone sent us uh, the advent calendar that American Girl is coming out with for 2022. And like, Bennett is in there. So like, someone is listening. Like, I'm not sure why Bennett is coming back now. It's like, does Emily ever actually like make it in England? We don't know. But Bennett the dog is here. Wow. I mean, how many lives has he had in this franchise? <laughs> Who a can lot. say? A lot. Wow. So Good we're moving him. we're moving on to book five. We're like we're gonna be like changing and growing and like saving things with Kit. What are we covering for Patreon this month, which is November twenty twenty two? We are covering a book called Ancestor Trouble by Maud Newton. Not her real name, as you will learn when you read oh. the book. Um 
it's her ancestor's name, but it's, okay. it's a really fascinating memoir about kind of understanding your own history through your family's history and the process of researching it. So if you've ever been interested in your own family history or genealogy, this is going to be a really fun and interesting episode about kind of like, what does your genealogy even mean? And what does it mean for you personally? So we will be reading that. And we are also going to be watching our true classic coming up very soon. Well, this will air just after, but we're going to watch um, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, a real classic. And then Allison, what's coming up after that? We are reading a Magic Attic Club book for December called Allison Goes for the Gold. That is Allison spelled with one L. Um, so we're doing kind of a figure skating theme for that month. And then our suggestions and DMs are wide open for 2023. We look forward to hearing from you about what kind of watch-alongs, PowerPoint parties, and then main episodes you would want to do with us. So we are open to those suggestions. Look forward to hearing what you would want to see. You can also always just give us direct feedback in the Patreon Discord where people tell us what kind of episodes they've liked the most, whether it be celebrity memoir. People always want more Dear America. So you just tell us exactly what you want and we will try to do it. Exactly. And we will be having our first of what I hope are many PowerPoint parties, I think on November 21st or 20th, the Sunday at 7.30 p.m. We will be gathering for a Taylor Swift themed PowerPoint party. I am starting to prep my slides. I'm excited. But we have some awesome presentations by other people in the Discord. And truly, the, the topics were taking me out when I was reading people's <laughs> um, suggestions. It's going to be so much fun. So if you have you love a PowerPoint party, please join us. You can suggest other topics for watch-alongs, as Allison said, PowerPoint parties or books we can read or things we can cover. So it's a really fun community. I love being on the Discord and talking to people. So please join us there. And Allison, if people want to contact us, how might they get in touch? You can reach out to me at Allison Horrocks on Twitter, as long as that still exists, and on Instagram. And you can follow the show at Dolls Lives Pod on Twitter. And we are on Instagram as Dolls of Our Lives podcast. We also have a link tree where you can find links to access things like our connection to Libro FM. Those are posted in our bios both places. Mary, where should people find you? I think for now the safest place is on Instagram at Mary Mahoney. <laughs> That's the thing I'm on the most and I have a bunch of DMs to respond to. Apologies. I'm going to get to it. So if you write to me, I always write back. Sometimes it takes me a minute, but I'm on Twitter, but increasingly less so because I just don't need that energy in my life. So I would just go for Instagram at this time. And with that being said, we're so excited to see where Kit goes next and to hear from you. And we'll see you on our next episode.